episode 54 of the State of the Old Republic podcast was originally recorded on September 25th, 2017. It's the State of the Old Republic podcast. Listen, my children, and you shall hear news about SWOTOR is very near. The roadmap is coming. The roadmap is coming. Class changes are happening in Game Update 5.5, and they're happening in 5.6. But when all is said and done, will classes truly be balanced? With a renewed focus on group activities, I ask players what motivates them to run group content. I'll share the results later in this show. The remainder of this year promises more story and more companions. I'll discuss how Bioware plans to deliver story and which companions I'd like to see back. And with that, it's time to make the jump to Lightspeed and check out the State of the Old Republic. Welcome to Episode 54 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I'm your host, Ted, and as you heard in the opening, I have another great show lined up for you today. First, let's get to some announcements for the Old Republic. Just a reminder that Bioware is holding a cantina tour at New York Comic Con. If you happen to be in the Big Apple, be sure to drop in on Eric, Charles, Keith, and the gang. It's a chance to ask them questions about the game, maybe pick up some swag, and hey, drinks are on them. It's going to be Friday, October 6th from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern. The venue, Stitch Bar and Lounge, located at 247 West 37th Street, New York, New York. And then there's Game Update 5.5. We know a little bit more about it than we did last week, but much of it still remains a mystery. What's not a mystery is the release date. It goes live on October 10th. That means you've got until then to take advantage of the huge CXP rewards from places like Yavin 4, The Black Hole, and CZ98. Last week I told you I was ranked 220 on my Assassin, and I am happy to report that I am now ranked 300 and working on another tune that just hit rank 220. You can do the math on that one, probably going to get to 300 before it ends. And finally, this week's conquest is the Trade Emporium. Voss, McKeb, and CZ98 are conquerable planets, and it's another big crafting event. If you have old mats laying around, you should be able to knock this out on multiple characters. That's it for announcements. Let's slice the holonet and get to the news this week. There are two things in life that I hate. First is people that tell you they don't like doing PowerPoint presentations and then proceed to throw a 60-slide deck up on the screen. And the second, it's announcements that announce an upcoming announcement. Ah, well, such is the world we live in, and instead of a roadmap, we've been given the promise of a roadmap, with a release date that ends in ish. It's a little more concrete than that, but if it's not out before October 6th, then know that something has gone terribly wrong. The roadmap is coming sometime between now and October 5th. Between forum posts and live streams, we're not totally in the dark on what it will contain. For example, we know that 5.5 goes live on October 10th, and it will include more class changes. We also know that Game Update 5.6 will go live later this year, and it too will include more class changes. We know there's more story and more gods from the machine, including Master Mode. Now, if you ask the players, the quarterly roadmap is either late or really late. If you ask Bioware, they just define quarters differently than we do. I'll have more on Bioware's fuzzy math in the third half of the show. The release of 5.4 and 5.4a was bad. 
and BioWare is working hard to ensure they avoid those technical issues in the future. Not an excuse, but an explanation as to why communication has been down and the roadmap is not yet in our hands. Despite the lack of information, the development team remains upbeat about the roadmap and the future of the game, and things are about to ramp up. According to Keith Kanig, we have lots of activity happening every couple of weeks. In the roadmap, I will provide you with exactly what we're doing through the end of 2017, plus a glimpse of early 2018. After it's published, we'll make sure we are available to answer your questions, address your concerns, and offer any additional insight. And then there was Eric Musco, who talked about the roadmap during a live stream he and Charles Boyd did with Bad Feeling Podcast. Here's what Eric had to say. One of the things I think that's important to understand about the roadmap, to us, maybe not to the players always, but to us, the roadmap isn't simply game update, bullet of things. Game update, bullet of things. That's not how we see a roadmap. This is an interesting statement, because if you were to ask us players what's the number one thing we want to see in the roadmap, it's game updates and bullets of things. And of course, we want release dates for all those game updates and bullets of things. So why not just give us a list of what's coming? Well, here's Eric again with Bad Feeling Podcast. Right. And and I think the thing that's different about this, and I'm not really giving you any extra information when I say this, but 5.5 into 5.6 and the, the things that we are going to talk about in the roadmap are all kind of important together. Right. So it was a little bit of a unique circumstance that we kind of couldn't talk about like, oh, this thing's coming in 5.5, to not also then talk about everything else. We didn't want to just hand you a puzzle piece. We want to hand you the puzzle. And to do that, we kind of had to hold back a little bit and release it in the room. Which is where I say, like, the roadmap's good. I'm, <laughs> I'm excited for well, when you guys get yeah. your hands on the roadmap. Yeah. It's meaty. At this point, it's better welcome. That's right. I, don't, I do not think you will be disappointed. Eric referred to the roadmap as a puzzle, and we do have a few pieces of that puzzle on the table. Let's start with Game Update 5.5. Eric wrote on the forums that Game Update 5.5 will mark the end of the primary balance changes to DPS and HPS as we outlined in the original post around balanced targets. So the classes getting balanced this time around are Sith Warriors and Jedi Knights, Annihilation Marauders and Watchmen Sentinels were deemed to be overperforming and they are getting nerfed. Vengeance Juggernauts and Vigilance Guardians were buffed overall, although it came with a nerf to Chilling Scream and Freezing Force. The devs didn't like AoE as part of a single target rotation. That change also affects Rage Juggernauts and Focus Guardians. They too had some stuff rearranged and will likely stay where they're at numbers-wise. Imperial Agents and Smugglers will take a hit in game update 5.5. Marksmanship Snipers and Sharpshooter Gunslingers are getting nerfed. I've seen a lot of people scratch their heads over this as those advanced classes weren't exactly knocking it out of the park with their numbers. Sith Inquisitors and Jedi Consulars are on the chopping block. I mean the list. Lightning Sorks and Telekinetic Sages are getting buffed. Deception Assassins and Infiltration Shadows are getting nerfed. And my new beloved Assassin? Yeah, it's Deception. While Game Update 5.5 marks the end of class balance changes, it's not the end. Those utilities that everyone said needed to be looked at? Well, according to Eric, Game Update 5.6 will be where we begin adjusting utilities. This is also where we would begin making any additional tweaks to balance as needed for classes that are over or underperforming. It's a good bet that we'll see the continuation of the Iocath Umbara storyline in Game Update 5.6 as well. And what about Gods from the Machine? Well, I think it's safe to say that we'll see one more boss, if not two, before the end of the year. I think three could be a stretch. Best case scenario here is Game Update 5.5 goes live on October 10th. 
Game Update 5.6 goes live in November, and Game Update 5.7, which there has been no mention of, goes live in December. As I said, that's a best case scenario. If you look at the release cadence for Knights of the Eternal Throne's major game updates, they're a little spread out. Game Update 5.2 launched in April, 5.3 in July, and 5.4 in August. There have been smaller updates like 5.2.2 in between, so something every month between now and the end of the year is a possibility. We just don't have enough pieces of that puzzle to see the full picture. I personally hope we see 5.5, 5.6, and 5.7 before the end of the year, and along with story and ops bosses, I hope it brings that new war zone, and weapons in the outfit designer, and maybe a returning companion or 17. I'd also like to see that legacy-wide currency that's been talked about, and Keith has hinted about improving the group finder as well, and it's possible that that's on the radar as well. The unknowns outnumber the knowns, but there's a lantern hanging atop Bioware headquarters, and Keith Koenig and Eric Musco are astride their trusty tauntauns, and they are running through the streets shouting, The roadmap is coming. The roadmap is coming. Marauders and Sentinels, Juggernauts and Guardians, and Snipers and Gunslingers are the latest group of advanced classes to clear the first phase of class balancing. I say first phase because the development team is now poised to set their sights on buffing and nerfing utilities. Things like trauma regulators and trauma stabilizers that turn mercenaries and commandos into a tank, DPS, and healer all rolled up into one convenient package. Maybe the trauma regulators aren't that good, but if they don't make the nerf list, players will break out the torches and pitchforks and express their displeasure. Combat pervades every aspect of the game. Leveling, story, flashpoints, operations, uprisings, and PvP. There isn't a problem out there that we aren't prepared to solve with aggressive negotiations. As Han Solo once said, I prefer a straight fight to all this sneaking around. A sentiment I used to agree with until I rolled an assassin. Sneaking around is a good thing. Maybe the best of things. But even a stealthy assassin has to break out the lightsaber at some point. Combat is just what we do. As Bioware nears the finish line with the class changes, things will likely be improved, but will the classes really be balanced? You see, there's one problem with the game right now, and that's the same gear, abilities, and utilities are used in both PvE and PvP. Now, that didn't used to be the case for gear, and I believe Charles Boyd told Bad Feeling Podcast that adding expertise back to PvP gear is something they talk about a lot. Doesn't mean it's going to happen. Even if they were to do that, that just eliminates the need to do both PvP and PvE to get gear. It solves one problem, but it doesn't really balance the classes. Bioware could revamp the advanced classes and give them all a separate set of PvP-only utilities, Utilities are a big part of the problem, but they've done a decent job of creating utilities that you might choose exclusively for PvP and vice versa. Take Trauma Regulators. This utility is considered mandatory in PvP, but situational in PvE. You only generate stacks from direct damage. If you're in an op taking direct damage, you probably need a better tank. If you want to truly balance the classes, it requires the capability to adjust abilities separately for PvE and PvP. Heatseeker missiles fine in PvE, but hitting too hard in PvP? Nerfing themselves the problem for PvP, but it creates the reverse issue in PvE. 
I don't know what it would take to change it so that PvE and PvP could be tuned independently, but it would be more than just a quality of life improvement, and until they create that capability, I don't know if the classes can truly be balanced. This week I reached out to players and asked what motivates you most to participate in group PvE content. The choices I gave were 1. Social aspect, doing stuff with friends and guildmates. 2. The challenge of defeating the game's hardest content. 3. Character progression via galactic command and gear drops. And 4. Hitting personal conquest on multiple characters. Although you were asked to select just one answer, the choices are not mutually exclusive and a single player will do group content for all of the above. I was trying to find out what motivates players the most. The results? 41% of you said that you do group content because of the social aspect of playing with friends and guildmates. 24% do it for the challenge. 24% also do it for character progression via galactic command and gear drops. And 12% of you said that you do it to hit personal conquest on multiple characters. As for myself... I find that lately I've been running group content to hit personal conquest as well as progress characters via galactic command. In terms of operations, it's mostly group finder and the occasional eternity vault or Karaga's palace hard mode to get some easy tier 3 drops. A quarter of you said you like group content for the challenge it can offer. I like progression rating, but I like not having a regular schedule of running ops better. Now a couple of choices I didn't include were doing it because it's fun and doing it because of the rewards. I excluded those because nobody runs this stuff repeatedly just because it's fun and there aren't any real rewards to speak of. I bring this up because Master Mode Gods from the Machine is coming. On the Bad Feeling Podcast live stream, Eric and Charles stated the plan is to unlock Master Mode once all of the bosses have been released. In other words, we'll be getting the entire Master Mode operation all at once. This is great because it gives dedicated groups a reason to set up a schedule and work their way through these master mode encounters. The downside is if they don't add rewards beyond more CXP and tier 4 drops, the incentive to show up each night and spend 2-3 to three hours wiping on a single boss will quickly erode. If veteran mode gods from the machine is any indication, these encounters won't be easy. Now there has been talk about adding unassembled components to master mode bosses, while that's a good idea. I don't know if it's enough. Something else needs to be added. Something that you can only get from these bosses. Something that is unique, like weapons tunings, uh, mounts, a special flair, and cosmetic gear. Items of platinum quality. Things that you can show off that make it clear you defeated the toughest content the game has to offer. Like it or not, we are prone to chasing that carrot on a stick, and right now, there just aren't enough carrots worth going after. As much as we like to say that we do this for friends, challenge, and fun, we also do it for profit. If there aren't any tangible rewards, we'll give up if we hit a wall on one of these bosses.
Game Update 5.4 ended with one hell of a cliffhanger, and we're all anxious to see how that plays out. This came up during the live stream held by Bad Feeling Podcast. On the stream, Charles Boyd didn't say when the story would pick up, but he did tell us where it would pick up, and that's right after the events on Umbara. No side adventures with Galt like Profit and Plunder, my favorite chapter, by the way. Chuck and Brian also asked Charles if Flashpoints would remain the main vehicle for telling stories, and this is what Charles had to say. Is that, is that method of uh, storytelling that through the Flashpoint, is that going to be maintained for a while? Yeah, yeah the, the, plan, the plan going forward, at least you know, for the immediate future, is to use Flashpoints. You know, let you play a solo version where it's just you, you're making your decisions, and then have a multiplayer version that's more story-like, so that when you A, when you repeat it, you don't feel like you got a space bar so much, uh, and B, you know, you can still have see that experience again, so you a little bit like a repeatable chapter. I can still go back into that area. I can go check out those cool things that maybe I missed the first time. Uh, see that same general storyline like I did before. I, you can actually even repeat the solo version too. Does so. That speak to the... so Flashpoints it is. The decision makes sense when you consider that one of Bioware's goals for the game was more group content. Flashpoints let them kill several Minox with one stone. It's one piece of repeatable content that's structured for solo play, casual group play, and challenging group play. Flashpoints have been used to tell some of the game's best stories since the beginning. Things like Terrell 5, Maelstrom Prison, and The False Emperor. The prelude to the Shadow of Revan story was also told exclusively via Flashpoints, and it's one of the game's best stories to date. If nothing else, it introduced us to Lana Benico and the now traitorous Theron Shan. Flashpoints are designed around telling a story in a very specific way. They have a structure and pace to them. They are built around a pattern of advancing forward by fighting packs of trash and bosses until you reach a final boss. Now, just because a story is told via a flashpoint doesn't mean everything takes place within that flashpoint. Things usually start and end from our base on a Odessin or a dark corner in a seedy cantina. While flashpoints are an effective way to tell a story, they are limited in what they can do. A chapter like Visions of the Dark, where we roam around the wilds of Odessin, or a chapter where we commandeer a walker or take control of a mouse droid is not something you do in a flashpoint. I like flashpoints, but I also like the chapters and the other methods that Bioware uses to present a story. I understand the need to do flashpoints right now, but variety keeps the game interesting, and I hope they aren't abandoning the other tools just to get us something quickly. Flashpoints are something that should be used in conjunction with other storytelling methods, not in lieu of them. If we get news of 6.0 in 2018, I would love it if it had another 9-chapter story with follow-on stories in the form of a flashpoint. Not flashpoint after flashpoint after flashpoint. Last week I told you there are 17 missing companions, short of freezing us in carbonite again and waking up to 17 faces staring down at us while we lie in a medical bay, there's no quick way to bring them all back. I've argued that the longer these companions stay away, the more it looks like a deliberate choice on their part. They want to stay away. This is true to a point in that the character that's shunned is the one that has an established relationship with the companion. Take someone like Nadia Grell. Her absence only matters to the Jedi Counselor. Likewise, Mako's whereabouts only concern the Bounty Hunter. The reality is the Alliance Commander isn't trying to track down 17 people. We as players are. Then there's the question of who to bring back and when. Do you let the companions dictate the story, or does the story dictate which companions make a return? I believe the story should take precedence, but that could come at the expense 
of bringing back the more popular companions. Although if you ask 17 people who their favorite missing companion is, you might get 17 different answers. And what method do you use to bring them back? Should it just be part of the story, which we know is being told via flashpoints, or should there be separate alliance alerts like we saw in Knights of the Fallen Empire? I prefer a mix of both myself, although I suspect alliance alerts are off the table for now, which means they'll be part of the current story. And about that current story, other than the need for an expert slicer to replace Theron Sean, cough, Mako, cough, I don't see anything obvious that points to a specific companion's return. As to who I'd like to see return, my top three are Risha, Kira Carson, and Lord Scourge. And then there's some companions who can stay gone, and my top three are Zenith, Ashara Zavros, and Akabi Spar. As for the rest, I suppose I could wait a little longer, but I would like to see Kembal stick it to that Akgal Usar. And one more thing Charles Boyd discussed during the live stream with Bad Feeling Podcast, more romance options. And we're not just talking Arkin here, folks. Now, if they can just fix those courting gifts when that happens, life will be good. So if you've got a favorite companion you want back, let me know. Send an email to sotorpodcast at gmail.com or send a tweet to at sotorpodcast. While watching the Bad Feeling Podcast live stream, I was reminded that if nothing else, Star Wars The Old Republic is a giant piece of software. Brian and Chuck asked Eric if there was a topic he wished players would ask about, and this is what Eric said. I ran a podcast right before I came and worked at Bioware, and I, I will affectionately joke sometimes, the first thing I learned when I got in, into Bioware and worked at the studios, I was wrong about everything. And that's facetious, but it's like... I have no idea how software development works. Software development is weirdly complicated. I'm not a designer. I still don't understand it. But it is weird how long things take. Things that you think are simple are complicated. Things that you think are complicated are simple. Like, it's, it's so strange. It's so foreign to me. And so, it's one thing that I really wish, like, I've joked, like, I wish someone would have a TED Talk about, like, how game development works, how player feedback works, the ratio of, like, who's on the forums, who's on Reddit, what that represents as the total of the player base. Like, things that are really nitty-gritty about behind-the-scenes game design stuff. And not only people would ask it, but they would actually believe that it's real right. and absorb it, that's actually what I would say. And I think it's hard because until you're actually in the building, like, I didn't believe it. I was on the outside. I remember. I didn't believe any of it. I'm like, no, this is simple. Like, just change a color. How hard is it? It's like, it's three weeks of work to change that color. Like, that doesn't make any sense when you hear it. But when you actually see it, it's like, okay, I guess I could see how that would impact that. I've been in the software writing business for almost 20 years now. I've never worked on anything the size and scope of an MMO and don't presume to know the intricacies of building something of this magnitude. But software is software, and there are things that apply whether it's big or small. When we interface with the game, we do it via the UI. If a UI is any good, it's designed to allow you to perform complex tasks with the push of a button. When you drive a car, you press the accelerator to go and the brakes to stop. Everything else that goes into making the car stop and go is literally under the hood. The same is true for software. There is a lot under the hood that allows you to operate it, and without being able to look at the engine, you can't see how well it's engineered, or in some cases, the bubblegum and duct tape holding it all together. When it comes to Star Wars The Old Republic, I'm sure there are things that are scalable and designed with the future in mind, and there are other things that were just cobbled together because the clock was ticking and someone was told to just make it work. 
Software has a lot of smoke and mirrors. Things that sound easy to do are actually large undertakings, and things that are complex can sometimes take mere seconds to code. And by the way, if you happen to be someone who manages software developers but aren't familiar with writing code, feel free to have them back up every level of effort estimate they give you. I've seen the five-day LOE for the five-second change. But back to Star Wars The Old Republic, if you often wonder why it takes so long to develop content, understand that this is a giant beast of software. It's not a speedboat, it's a tanker ship, and it doesn't turn on a dime. One final note today, as you heard, a lot of information for Star Wars The Old Republic is about to come our way, which can only mean one thing. I'm going out of town again. Family stuff this time. What that means is episode 55 will be next week, but just not on Tuesday. As for episode 56, I'm shooting for the following week, but that may get pushed out as well. So if you don't see an episode on their normally scheduled day, don't worry, I'm still here, even though I just told you the reason for the delay is because I'm not here. Well, that's all I have for today. Let me cue the music and congratulate you on surviving another half hour listening to episode 54 of the State of the Old Republic podcast. I am your host, Ted, and I thank you for tuning in. You can find this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, YouTube, and Buzzsprout. You can also listen to the show directly from the show's site, which is SotorPodcast.com. And there is an RSS feed where you can subscribe directly to the podcast. If you have a question for the show, you can email me at SOTORpodcast at gmail.com. You can also tweet your questions to at SOTORpodcast or send me a direct message. And be sure to follow me on Twitter to get the latest information on the show. Look for episode 55 on October 5th, maybe the 6th. And remember the Sith Code, cake is alive.